Welcome to the Salty Driftwood Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Eugene Gibson, and today's episode, we'll be looking at political tribalism, divide, and rule. I hope everybody under the sound of my voice is doing well, and if you aren't, I hope that you do better. Political tribalism, divide and rule. What is political tribalism? In my opinion, political tribalism is when groups are separated and divided based on their political ideologies. Uh, Two most common nowadays are liberal liberal ideology or conservative ideology. The situation varies from country to country, region to region, or it could be a variation of both or some other new type of ideology that um, citizenry has accepted as the core of their political beliefs. Citizens have allowed themselves to be grouped in this manner, which I believe is based on a prehistoric survival trait that we as humans still exhibit today. In prehistoric times, and even in, I guess, Historical times on the whole, humans have grouped themselves together in clans and tribes as such for various reasons. And one of the main reasons is, was, I should say, back in the day, was because of protection. Protection against um, the other wildlife who were able to attack them. Protection from other tribes and clans who always wanted to conquer them. There was strength in the group. Collective security for surety. So this trait has been passed down from generation to generation, from population to population. This is how we are able to build our societies. Or, the same way we build our societies with this group effect, we, are, we can also destroy our societies with the same um, type of group effect. As time evolves, we recognize as humans that these groups or groupings need to have various components in order to survive. And a key component of these groups is or are leaders. We need um, persons and individuals to lead the group based on a collective decision. Now, the funny thing about the leader... (laughs) Uh, I believe in prehistoric time, the leader was perhaps the most dangerous and most uh, constantly ruling over job there was uh, in prehistoric times. Because usually the leader would be the one out front. So guess what would happen to him? He or she was usually the one that got eaten by the wild beast or the first one to get killed and captured by another tribe. So being a leader back in the day was probably rougher than being a leader nowadays, but I digress. Now the group had a leader, or in some cases, they may need to have leaders and individuals within the group at various tasks and obligation. I believe probably it had to be more efficient in prehistoric times or even in um, historic times, like I say, because the survival of the group heavily dependent on the fact that uh, everyone had 
to do their role and do their part and do it as efficiently as possible because they didn't have all the tools and technology that we possess today or that we believe we possess today that is more advanced, that we believe is more advanced. So human beings in general are predisposed to the group setting. In the present time, it is still a necessity for us to put ourselves or allow ourselves to be established in groups. This is how our nations and societies are formed. Groups of people come together, usually with a common goal, and decide that they want to be established with a certain identity, separate and different from other identities all around the world or all in a Pacific region. So therefore, we have this formation of nations. I mean, this is like a basic uh, like what I say, prelude to what I'm getting to. So now we have these nations, these societies, uh, these clans, tribes. Therefore, we still need to have some form of leadership. So we've established various types of governments. And these governments, for the most part, in our so-called democratic society, believed that the government's should be elected from amongst us. And in this process, the elected amongst us, they have grouped themselves and created an allegiance through political parties. Now, when going back a little bit, during the times of colonialism, when colonialism had collapsed and um, independent nations, across Africa, Caribbean, um, the Pacific, those type of nations who were under the thumb of colonialism, when they established their independent colonies, one of the thing they did, or most of them did, was they, they choose to have, at first, a one-party system. Now, looking at it through our democratic eyes now, that may have seemed to be, you know, inviting trouble, strange or weird. But we have to understand that most of these places was subdivided in so many tribes and clans and um, the idea of nationhood, a single nationhood, was perhaps foreign to most of them because everybody still wanted to keep their identity. This was one of the reasons for most of the conflicts during that time and actually most of the conflicts that are going on now, especially in the continent of Africa. Every so often, or right now as we speak, there are wars being fought between clans and tribes. Till eventually, Africa will continue to have more and more and more countries. And the chance for a single African state slipping more and further and further away from reality. So at first, the one-party system was needed to establish and bring all the groups of people together under one banda, under one nationhood. The main problem or challenge was that most of the leaders couldn't see beyond the one-party system. And as human beings go, their egos took over. So they had the belief that they were the state or all power was, in, was invested in them and them only. So therefore, these one-party systems um, began to be used by the neo colonists now, the, the new colonizers now, 
as a catalyst for division, as a catalyst for um, destabilization, as a catalyst to show the world that, uh, make the world believe that these nations were doomed without their direct rule. But they eventually learned that not having the direct rule, but having the invisible hand of neo-colonialism upon these nations was far better than being the direct colonial masters. So these tribes began to organize themselves into political parties. So now we have, now you would have a bunch of different political parties slash tribes vying for the same spot, vying for leadership, vying for control of the people, vying for control of the resources of a country. Each group or tribe or political entity, entity believe they have the inherent right to be in full and absolute control of all things over the citizenry. This sounds like Africa, right? You check stock in most of the other modern democracies. Their tribalism is now just like it was developed in these um, pre-colonial states into political parties. And tribalism now, uh, political tribalism, has now reared and raised its ugly head. And I believe it's intentional because the leaders in these countries, the same way the um, neo-colonists were doing, were using these um, various political parties as a way to divide and rule the people so they can be in charge and rule the resources of a country. Funny thing is, some of these uh, NGOs, non-government organizations, try hard to persuade these countries to form um, multi-party systems. When in fact, some of the more successful economies and political systems perhaps are more stable as we see it today um, in the one-party system. Take, for instance, Singapore. It's a one-party system. They can be quite stable. I don't know for how long or if they have a long-term plan to move away from that. Um, you can look at China. You know, they have a one-party system. It seems to be working well for the people because the people train under that. They that's that's what they accept. That that's that's all they know. So, if it's working for them and it's keeping them at pace, I guess it is what it is. But they're encouraging other countries. Take example. I look at Haiti the other day. One of the poorest countries in this region. One of the most volatile and politically unstable countries in this region has over. 31 recognized political party. Now, they claim that these parties um, do not garnish the national attention as maybe one or two or a few of them. But what it does, but what it actually does is, is garnish division. People now have a choice and anyone could come up with a reason why they need to form a political party and legally do so. It is their right. But at the same time, the people are rallying, rallying around different ideas and in different opinions. And the unity of statehood is quickly and rapidly demolishing or demolished, I should say. Let me state that I'm not naive to the fact that building a nation with um, a bunch of different people and ideologies and belief is as easy or is some like you know, one mole fits all to build a successful nation. 
But there's something I've noticed that um, the more successful ones have tended to design their or create their nationhood to make it more inclusive. They tend to design their nationhood not around um, tribes or political party or or um, but opinions and differences or even beliefs. They tend to design their nations around the legal framework that has made uh, the state or has made the grouping of people into a nation. For example, before this political tribalism came about nowadays because of the former president, Americans rallied themselves around the legal document, the Constitution. Now, there may be some who say, well, the Constitution, yeah, yeah, that was written by, the, by founding fathers who owned slaves and all that. The fact, of the, matter, the fact of the matter is the message or the framework for the Constitution, I don't even think the founding fathers realized what they were doing. Obviously, they, they didn't realize by stating such things as all men are created equal. Now, in their prejudice and narrow-minded thinking, they didn't see slaves as or Africans as men and women. So in their mind, they were excluding them automatically. They wasn't even thinking about them. But the great thing about documents and living documents like this is that through divine design, such things are placed in them without them even realizing the long-term effects what will happen. And that would have happened today. It was around the Constitution that civil rights um, for those disenfranchised uh, black minorities and other minority groups were able to have some of the freedom and powers that they have today. Um, you could look at England. England doesn't necessarily have a, a constitution. They have uh, the Magna Carta, more or less, which really isn't a constitution because they really didn't have to become independent from much. They just had to resolve all the turmoil between, turmoil between the tribes and the Anglo-Saxon and the Normandies and the French and all that who tried and the Danes who tried to take their town. That's all they really had to do, take over their country. So they have the Magna Carta, but their whole basis of a nation is followed around the framework what they like to call rule of law. You know, their whole framework of why they are Britain, why they are a nation is rule of law. So the legal framework is what unites them as one. And these legal frameworks are living documents. They could be amended. They could be changed to suit the circumstances of the time. Once you pick your, once you decide or you are born in the tribe, that's you, you're born in that, ain't, ain't much could change that. So your views and opinions might not change. But when leaders begin to understand that it's these legal documents which people can rally around and build, they will realize that this is how a nation continues to build and grow because these documents are living documents. They are able to change and grow as the circumstances uh, arises, as circumstances arise. And they, by being uh, living documents, they become inclusive just about at all times. Once it's done in a proper manner to do such, every nation has different groups it's making of. But the key to building a successful nation is that through all the differences, we become one. So we have one motive, one design, one goal in mind. That is to build a better nation. Let me give you an example of how, I don't know how far it go. After the Rwandan 
uh, genocide. I hope I pronounce his name right. The Houthis and the Tutsis, the two tribes who are fighting. The President Kigali, I think I was pronouncing it right. You know, one group who was causing most of the Houthis, they, they were afraid that now this nation, um, now this, this, this president come about who's, who was a Tutsi and he's fighting them, now they'll take revenge on, on them. But he was able to realize something. He was able to convince them through political will or however he did it, because I, I, I don't really know the full history, but that's what I know about it, is that he was able to convince them that, hey, we are no longer Hutsis and Tutsis. We are Rwandans. And they created the framework, the legal framework around that. Now, how long they could last? I don't know. But so far, it seems that that's the key. The key to keeping a nationhood, to establishing a, a single entity, a single-minded nation. You could, even in the U.S., um, like I say, they have their constitution, but it didn't take until the constitution was tested during the Civil War when uh, the, the Southern tribe decided <laughs> that they were in charge and they, they want to have their own way and they want to um, secede away from the Northern tribe. People say the Northern tribe. That they, they were basically tribes with different ideologies, with one heavily based in the economy of slavery. Because um, at the end of the day, it's all, usually, in my opinion, always about economics. But what kept the Union together, that the North held steadfast to the fact that, hey, this is the Constitution, and this is how it is, and we are not allowing you to break the law. Because you're breaking the law by doing what you're doing. So you see what I'm saying? It was a legal framework. I mean, the Civil War was, like any war, tragic, and you had to lose lives. But the mere fact that the Constitution, which created the Union, or the, or the legal framework with, with other instruments, which created the Union, was the rallying cry for the North. That's, and it, 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 it prevailed. It prevailed. So that should tell you how powerful these uh, legal documents and legal framework can be in a country. Now, they have sunk into political tribalism just like every other so-called developing country in third world state. Because now they have, how do I put it, they, um, they have become so accustomed or I think they take their constitution for granted and don't realize the true power it has. Like us in the Western world. I include myself being in a small country in the Bahamas, which is the gate, which is the gateway, you know, like the brag. <laughs> but we really are the gateway to the new world, so to speak. <laughs> Not really to brag about it, because with that gateway brought uh, Indian genocide and African slavery. But hey, it is what it is. That's history. So, <laughs> uh, but um, in this part of the Western world, we we take too much of these um, legal frameworks and instruments that have established our democracy, we take them too much for granted and we begin to lose focus because the leaders of these political organizations want us to lose focus. And subtly what they're doing is they're trying to basically become demagogues. They ain't trying. Some of them have already become demagogues and that they are the constitution. They are the ones who you should believe in. They are the ones who could get it done somehow miraculously. Bear in mind that they men and women just like you, they have the same faults as, faults as you and there you have the same common denominator as all human beings. One day, they can hit that six inch or six feet, wherever they're burying, they can hit that grave just like you. So that's what actually makes us all equal. That, 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 that space that all of us will eventually 
um, become a resident of. But now, true political tribalism, this is their way to divide and rule. An age-old tactic. An age-old tactic from any civilization from beyond us. That was the way uh, a conqueror wanted to keep intact um, or wanted to keep constant rule over other individuals. You divide them up. You know, you, you, you give some some rewards and you punish some and you have them fighting against one another. And through that, they, uh, they unstable. They only concerned with fighting. While they fighting, you uh, stealing their resources and taking full control of their land. And that's what's happening right today. These political parties, their main objective is the divide and rule. You know, I don't know, I don't know is single-handedly nefarious, it's like, but that's just the way the system design, that's the, the system that we keep intact and we too lazy to try our reform in the men. Yes, we lazy, we just think, oh, hey, this, this is the best thing happens in sliced bread. So we reach this point where we believe like, Oh, yeah, we, we had the pinnacle of everything. Oh, we could do this. We could go on the internet and we have this. And our forefathers, they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. But how really advanced are we? When we we can, we have all these systems and technology in place and we aren't using them to improve our lives. The only thing we want to use them for is to fulfill our lust and greed. That's all we want to do. Make sure our pockets fat. But we aren't using them to the full capacity to improve our lives and to improve society so the same thing with the political system um same thing with the legal frameworks anytime you talk about amending constitution i i we experience it here everyone always oh that's so difficult and da 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 and it ain't time because most political um tribes realize that they only have a certain time to be in power and existence you know so their thing is, for the most part, I don't care, once you have a term limit, these guys realize, or these guys and ladies realize, that why spend time um, taking care of so many when we could do so much more by taking care of few, which including ourselves. So that's really one, 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 one aspect of the one-party system that is kind of good because you have a continue... Uh, a, con a continuity of um, uh, uh, power in place. So you have a continuity of policies and strategies on a national level being not only developed but executed because a different um, a political party or system comes in place and decided just strictly out of the ego. No, most of the time is no other reason except Hey, we, ain't come, we didn't come up with it, so we can come up with our own. Just wasting time. That's all they're doing, wasting time. And they have a bunch of idle time. So when you, when you have a bunch, when you're doing wasting time and have a idle time, only one thing left to do. <laughs> and y'all could guess and y'all could see what it is. I mean, you have to tell y'all that one. But um, that's one aspect of having a one-party system. But, like I say, egos usually um, take over. And you need to evolve from the one-party system. And if you can, if you rally around a legal framework which establish yourself as a nation, then the political, the multi-party system tends to work because the multi-party system is not the sole, um, or the parties are not the sole uh, leaders or inheritors of a country or the earth. The constitution or the constitutions or 
instruments as such when they become supreme or not just in word but in deed then we have where multi-party systems could work and it's just my opinion and it could help to make su successful uh, nations that's why political tribalism only one thing that good for and in the manner that um, we see it today is to divide and rule um, with that I'll end um, like I always say be good and be real and have a good one <laughs>